Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. Living Lessons in Physics by Rochelle Baborina. In this series, we are looking at the study of physics in a Charlotte Mason classroom using a Kipling poem as the device to answer our questions. I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and where and when and how and why and who. The first article explored what physics is, why it had and still has a place in a Charlotte Mason classroom, and when it was taught. Let's now turn back to Mason's synopsis of her philosophy of education to see how physics was taught. 13. Knowledge should be communicated in well-chosen language because his attention responds naturally to what is conveyed in literary form. 14. As knowledge is not assimilated until it is reproduced, children should tell back after a single reading or hearing, or should write on some part of what they have read. 15. A single reading is insisted on because children have naturally great power of attention, but this force is dissipated by the rereading of passages and also by questioning, summarizing, and the like. Doesn't the questioning and summarizing bit remind you of a dry and condensed science textbook with the inevitable summaries of questions at the end of each section? Now, living books and narration are hallmarks of a Mason education. So let us consider both further. Living books. Physics was not taught from a textbook. Instead, as with the other branches of science, the basic principles were laid out in narrative form. The science books in Miss Mason's classrooms were thoughtfully chosen, of literary value, and not only aided in a child's understanding of the world about them, but also kindled their imagination. The books used in science and physics were as up-to-date as possible, but newness was not the criteria that determined its use. This was an exciting time for science, and our understanding of nature was being transformed on every scale, from the smallest particle to the solar system as a whole. Mason is not shy about encouraging parents to be mindful of the latest scientific advancements or of exploring them with their students. If parents take no heed of the great thoughts which move their age, they cannot expect to retain influence over the minds of their children. If they fear and distrust the revelations of science, they introduce an element of distrust and discord into their children's lives. If they realize that the new idea, however comprehensive, is not final nor all-inclusive, nor to be set in opposition with that personal knowledge of God which is the greatest knowledge, why, then, their children will grow up in that attitude of reverence for science, reverence for God, and openness of mind which befits us for whom life is a probation and a continual education. I won't go through the entire scope and sequence for each form here, but allow me to give you some highlights. A former teaching student and assistant to Miss Kitching, 
tells us in a behind-the-scenes look at the Parents' Union School that the work in the programs needed to be kept lively and in touch with the present day. Physics was not haphazardly thrown into the mix, but rather a definite relationship of studies must be secured from term to term and from form to form through school life from 6 to 17 years. In both Form 2B and 2A, remember that's approximately our years 4 through 6, ages 9 through 12, Mason's students studied physics using the book The Sciences by American astronomer Edward Singleton Holden, who himself discovered 22 deep-sky objects and became the librarian of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Mr. Holden wishes to awaken the imagination to convey useful knowledge to open the doors towards wisdom, while especially stimulated observation and a living and lasting interest in the world that lies about us. The physics section, with its simple observations and experiments, can be carried out in the home schoolroom, and much of it, I believe, is relevant for use today. Form 3 used two lovely books with sections on physics, This Wonderful Universe by Agnes Gibburn and The Fairyland of Science by Arabella Buckley. Agnes Gibburn was a contemporary of Charlotte Mason and a founding member of the British Astronomical Association, as well as a children's book author. Her book is full of Shakespeare and poetry, for Gibburn states, It is always interesting to note the manner in which great scientific truths are received by widely differing minds, gifted with poetic insight. But do not think the book is a light one. The wonders of the cosmos are described in clear and vivid language, introducing astronomy in a fascinating and thought-provoking way. From discussing the shape of the earth, the magnitudes of stars, and the workings of the spectroscope, to the nature of light and Einstein's general theory of relativity, Miss Gibburn gives what she calls foundation ideas. She succeeds in giving the student what she says her father had given her, a firm foundation upon which a superstructure of further study could so easily be reared. Throughout the book, she gives suggestions for both observations to be made and experiments to be conducted. Arabella Buckley, known as Mrs. Fisher in the PUS programs, worked as a secretary for Sir Charles Lyell, the foremost geologist of his day. After his death, she lectured and wrote on science herself. Many of you may already have become acquainted with her through her book Fairyland of Science, which was based on ten lectures she gave in 1878. For the physics portion, She discusses sunbeams and the nature of light, x-rays, gravity, atoms, and how a barometer works. In it, she gives simple experiments and discusses recent changes of the day that challenged Newton's thoughts. Moving on to Form 4, about our ninth grade, ages 14 and 15, among the books used were Some Wonders of Matter, by Bishop John Edward Mercer. Bishop Mercer himself tells us how he set out to describe in the language of everyday life a few of the teachings of modern physics concerning the behavior of matter. 
he wished to arouse a wholesome wonder at the marvels of the material universe. Charlotte Mason held the book in high esteem, calling it the most inspiring of the half-dozen volumes in current use in Form 4 for general science. Indeed, the book is also full of poetry in Shakespeare, philosophy, and wonder. Are you seeing a trend? Again, this year, the students would be covering a wide field of topics in general science and natural history, also studying botany, invertebrates, and health, while keeping a nature notebook and choosing special seasonal studies for out-of-door work. Once more, I insist that you don't despair. The reality was that this study of physics meant the reading and narration of about 30 pages per 12-week term for this form. This is knowledge which generates enthusiasm, and it is not separated from the humanities. Charlotte Mason quotes Sir Richard Gregory, professor of astronomy and later editor of the scientific journal Nature, as affirmation of her principles and methods. The essential mission of school science was to prepare pupils for civilized citizenship by revealing to them something of the beauty and the power of the world in which they lived as well as introducing them to the methods by which the boundaries of natural knowledge had been extended. School science, therefore, was not intended to prepare for vocations, but to equip pupils for life. In Form 5, or 10th and 11th grades, students studied the nature of matter, electricity, light, heat, and electrons, following the same principles as in the earlier forms, with the addition of following newspaper reports on astronomical subjects. One can imagine Mason's students following Sir Arthur Eddington's test of the total solar eclipse of 1919 that would prove Einstein's theory of general relativity, just as our students followed with so much interest the solar eclipse of 2017. Again, we see physics was an important part of the students' varied studies, which also included biology or botany, zoology, the keeping of a nature notebook, and continued outdoor work. In Form 6, we are going to go a bit beyond when Charlotte Mason passed away. Along with following newspaper reports on astronomical subjects, as in the previous form, Form 6 approximately 12th grade, ages 17 and 18, has some remarkable authors in its lineup. Among them are the physicist philosophers Sir James Jeans, The Universe Around Us, and Sir Arthur Eddington, Nature of the Physical World. Both men are considered the founders of British cosmology, in which physics shares its scope with philosophy in dealing with the origin and fate of the universe. These physicists wanted to help the laymen understand the new developments of relativity and quantum theory. Sir Arthur Eddington was particularly well known for his ability to explain the concepts in lay terms. Using a healthy dose of humor combined with literary references, Sir Eddington makes relativity, thermodynamics, and quantum mechanics perfectly accessible in his now classic Nature of the Physical World. Now, some of the books used in Mason's classrooms will not be scientifically viable today 
as they talk about the ether, which late 19th century physicists believed to permeate space. They theorized that this was the medium through which light could travel in a vacuum. The existence of the ether was disproved by the Michelson-Morley experiment, which would later help pave the way for Einstein's idea that the speed of light is constant. And while scientific books of today don't always rise to the poetic level of those chosen by Mason, there are some modern books that kindle the imagination and throw the doors open to wonder. For example, in addition to Holden's The Sciences, my Form two students enjoyed three small books by Russell Stannard, The Time and Space of Uncle Albert, Black Holes and Uncle Albert, and Uncle Albert and the Quantum Quest, as in Ruskin's The Ethics of the Dust and Holden's The Sciences, Stannard employs the literary device of dialogue, this time between Albert Einstein and his fictional niece, Gedunken, who explore time and space, speed and light, and quarks and electrons. Form 3 could take a more historical view with books such as The World of Physics by John Hudson Tyner and Jerome Pollan's Albert Einstein and Relativity for Kids while Form 4 might enjoy Carlo Rovelli's Seven Brief Lessons on Physics. Forms 5 and 6 could add the more in-depth Reality is Not What It Seems, The Journey to Quantum Gravity, or still consider Eddington's classic The Nature of the Physical World while exploring current thought with scientific news. A remarkable option is Sabbath Mood Homeschool's Living Science Study Guides by Nicole Williams. Taking into account the wide field of topics in a Mason science curriculum, Williams introduces the study of physics appropriately in Form 2, looks at universal laws in Forms 3 and 4, and then in high school begins with measurements, laws of motion, pressure, and light using the book For the Love of Physics by astrophysicist Walter Lewin. Along with the guides for astronomy and weather, this is a bountiful treatment of physics, which allows for both basic principles and more in-depth study. Additional guides on quantum mechanics and relativity are due out this school year to complete the high school portion of the physics rotation. Taken with the other science guides, Sabbath Mood Homeschool has certainly laid down a course of study as thoughtful and generous as the PNEU. Resting on the firm foundation of Mason's principles, the Living Science Study Guides not only schedule the living books, but also the other methods important to and utilized in Mason's study of physics. It is these methods that we will briefly explore next. Narration natural history notebooks, known as science notebooks today, experiments, and exams. Narration. The important role of living books in the study of physics is supported by the equally important role of narration in these lessons. Miss Parrish, who trained at the House of Education and gave her heart to Charlotte Mason's movement, sums up the art of listening and giving back beautifully. Narration is not the work of a parrot. 
but of absorbing into oneself the beautiful thought from the book, making it one's own, and then giving it forth again with just that little touch that comes from one's own mind. While the narration could be given either orally or written, it could also be found in the form of an entry placed in the student's notebook, the natural history or science notebook. How was the natural history notebook, or what we frequently term the science notebook, utilized in the study of physics? Charlotte Mason explains how far-reaching the nature notebooks were in their schools, noting that they find room for both the courses of the stars and a fossil anemone found on the beach at Whitby. And she emphasizes that the notebooks do a good deal to bring science within the range of common thought and experience. Indeed, when looking through the Charlotte Mason digital collection, you may see natural history notebooks from the House of Education with entries on architecture, geography, chemistry, physics, and spectrum analysis, along with the parts of a cockroach all housed in the same book. Entries in a student's notebook could be written and or include drawings and diagrams from books or newspaper reports. While programs of study specify daily nature journal entries, again, not necessarily a brush drawing, this could be a short written entry. There seems to be no hard and fast rule to the natural history or science notebook. What we do see is that entries were a definite part of the work, although the student was allowed to choose what to enter. We see here the same aspect of self-management as we see in the nature notebook. Experiments. Other entries that might find their way into the notebook are those coming from experiments. In my previous article, I shared Telford Petrie's words regarding Charlotte Mason's criticism of school laboratories. Even so, fieldwork, lab work, and experiments were important to her. In praising Holden's The Sciences, which you'll remember was used in Form 2, Mason tells us, Capital diagrams and descriptions make experiments easy, and children arrive at their first notion of science without the verbiage that darkens counsel. Here, Mason quotes Job 38.2, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? To relay how a preponderance of words only serves to cloud rather than clarify a child's first ideas of science. But when rightly used, experiments aided in the exploration of science and physics and were also valued for nurturing the habit of observation. Nothing seems to have changed regarding Mason's thoughts in this area from the publication of her first volume to her sixth. She tells us in Home Education regarding science, One thing is to be borne in mind. Nothing should be done without its due experiment. Then she states in her final volume, Towards a Philosophy of Education, The teacher affords direction, sympathy and studies, a vivifying word here and there, help in the making of experiments, etc., as well as the usual teaching in languages, experimental sciences, i.e. physics and chemistry, and mathematics. If the book in use did not provide experiments, 
a book of experiments was suggested. In the case of relativity and quantum physics, thought experiments, those carried out in the imagination, such as the one at the beginning of this previous article, were described. The modern books I mentioned contain either thought experiments and or physical experiments. The American Physical Society's Physics Central offers a multitude of experiments that can be done in the home schoolroom, as do the living science guides put out by Sabbath Mood Homeschool. Exams. And, of course, there were end-of-term exams. Usually, there was only one question per term regarding physics, but the questions were such as would both release and confirm knowledge. Examples include Form 4.1. Describe the behavior of those marvelous molecules of matter in the liquid state. Form 5.1. Show that we have experimental proof that light is due to electrons revolving around atoms. In How to Make a Study of Physics in a CM Classroom, we have considered living books news articles, narrations, science notebooks, experiments, and exams. But how about the math found in physics? We will discuss that in our final post of the series, where we take a look at where the study of physics took place in the Charlotte Mason classroom, before we end with the who. About the author. Rochelle Baborina is the author of Mathematics, an Instrument for Living Teaching, published by Simply Charlotte Mason. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog. We hope you enjoyed the program. 